Hello and welcome to Get With The Programme with me, Michael Sheridan. This series is all about the TV and digital industry in conversation with the people who work in it. Brought to you in association with the Edinburgh TV Festival and the TV Foundation, who run the talent schemes, the network and ones to watch. There's a bit of a twist in this series, as not only will we be chatting with industry professionals about their careers and how they got their big break, but we'll also be exploring television and digital content's power to be a catalyst for substantial and impactful change in society. So, sit back, relax, and let's dive into TV and digital content's place in a post-pandemic world. Oh, and thanks for not skipping intro. In this episode, I'm joined by award-winning writer Rowan Bardsley. Her writing work includes the recent Channel 4 prison drama Screw, starring Derry Girls' Jamie Lee O'Donnell, Netflix's Free Reign and teen soap Hollyoaks. She'll be chatting to us about her career and the social impact of both television drama and soap opera. Hi, Rowan. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, on the Get With The Programme podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, How is your... What day are we on? Tuesday. How's your week going? Yeah, fast already, but good, I think. Just handed in a first draft this morning of something, so that's always a good feeling. Although then I immediately read it and realise I have loads of typos that I didn't catch in the proofread. Very exciting. So what have you been watching recently? Um, I recently finished The Responder, which is the uh, Liverpudlian police drama on BBC One. Oh, I've heard good things about that. My dad's a scouser, so he's told me to Easy. watch it. I live in Liverpool, <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Oh. Um, it's quite a bleak portrayal of Liverpool, but it is through the eyes of somebody who's who's a, a responder, a, a sort of first response police officer. Um, and I also just uh, started watching, not on the drama front, but I just started watching a documentary called about ice skaters called Freeze on BBC Three. <laughs> which is fun. Nice one. I I tried, um, not ice skating, but I tried actual um, actual skating and was just awful at it. I, I went to like a first lesson and I was just like, this is it's so physical. It's so difficult. My legs and arms are aching. You've got to keep your arms up like this for the whole thing. And it's like, I was like, I'm not coming to this again. <laughs> it's really, really brutal and physical um, what they're doing. But then again, that's that thing is it's really interesting getting a view into a world that you would never normally get to see or know anything about. So... That's why TV is so good. It's always changing, you know, what what you think. It's challenging it, isn't it? Absolutely. So just talk to me a little bit about uh, your career, like how it began and how you came to uh, be on the the Ones to Watch scheme at Edinburgh. So I knew I wanted to be a drama writer. um, But when I first started trying to get into the industry, I found it quite difficult to break into drama, which I'm sure lots of people find. It's, It's quite a hard nut to crack. So I did some low-level jobs running and production secretary jobs on entertainment um, and factual. I actually worked on the Great British Bake Off before it was, before it was big. (laughs) Before it was cool, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, before it was cool. I was there uh, on series three as the production secretary. But then um, my breakthrough really happened when I landed a job as a storyliner on Hollyoaks. Um, And that basically everything's just run on from there. That was, that was the first stepping stone into drama um, I was a storyliner on Hollyoaks for about three and a half years. Um, and towards the end, I started writing scripts and doing a bit of both. And then eventually I moved on to the writing team full time there. And I think it was around my third episode of Hollyoaks that I'd written that 
I got onto the Ones to Watch scheme at the Edinburgh TV Festival back in 2015. Amazing. So then what happened next for you after after do, uh, being on the talent scheme? So I stayed on Hollyoaks um, for a couple more years writing episodes. Uh, I wrote 63, I think, in the end. 63? Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, that is a lot of episodes, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot of episodes. Um, yeah, it was, but it was great. It's a great way to learn and to have your work on, on the television. But at the same time, I was sort of starting to try and develop original work but obviously Hollyoaks was pretty much a full-time job so it was, it was difficult to juggle but I was sort of sending pitches out to production companies having meetings try, trying to get some original work and then I decided after after 63 episodes that I'd probably <laughs> I done as many <laughs> affair reveals yeah. um, and bedside vigils uh, at the hospital as I could manage and I decided to take the leap and and try and become a freelance screenwriter and work in more high-end drama um so yeah that's what I've been trying to do for the past two three years I'm not sure the pandemic's made time quite uh a mystery but it has yeah I don't think the last two years really count for years do they (laughs) because everything's been so upside down um so so with Hollyoaks then so what what's what's the difference between uh, a storyliner and then you know sort of being part of the writing team so on a soap um there's a story team who are it's that their full-time job is to storyline and they are usually on staff contracts so full-time contracts in the office in the building and basically because of soaps are on Hollyoaks was on five nights a week it would be impossible for the writers to be in control of the storylines it just wouldn't work continuity wise and workload wise so you need a dedicated team of people who are generating basically the the story blueprint for each episode um, and they work on a cyclical basis where they're producing storylines for 20 episodes every four weeks. And once those storylines are done, those are the documents that go out to the writers. So the writers know what to write in their episodes. So it's a very different to high end drama, where often if you're writing an episode of a high end drama, you, the writer, it's your job to come up with the story for it or to storyline it. But in soap, you're you're given that um, blueprint by the story team and then you're you know, working out the dialogue and characterful stuff, but it, but it's very much driven by by the in-house team on a soap, just because of time and logistics, really. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different ball game, isn't it? Soaps compared to like high end drama. My first work experience was um, CBBS, but my first job as a runner was Coronation Street. Do you think that soaps quite a good way in because they're you know they run all the time, they're cyclical? Do you think do you think they're a great place to sort of start out and learn? Definitely. What's really great about them is you can get a job on a soap with with little or no experience. There are entry level jobs going, and you can work your way up, and it's consistent regular work that you can rely on you could get a 12-month contract which in this industry is unheard of and I think especially if you're coming from a lower income background you don't have any interesting contact contacts it's really difficult to start off because you're going for three five-month contracts at a time that's not regular enough it's almost impossible to do but with a soap you can get that stability and learning on the job and I think they're so important um Mm. and just brilliant places to learn yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. And on that kind of point, because I'm, I'm from a working class background myself. So, you know, getting into the industry when you've not got financial support can can be really difficult, can't it, to to kind of find your way in. And, and that's why I guess where soaps are great, because they have a bit more stability than your average sort of drama Completely. or series. Completely. And I think that's really 
important because I think a lot of people don't understand because there is a there is a bit of a posh problem in this industry and a lot of people do come from higher income backgrounds and private school and that is largely down to how difficult it is to get a start a start and I think that's what Edfest is so great at and the talent schemes are so important for especially the network is trying to help people who don't come from those backgrounds get in because it is it's really really tricky if you're if you're trying to go from job to benefits job to benefits especially with you know before way back when I was doing it it wasn't universal credit which I believe is even more difficult because it plays in arrears um and stuff so yeah I think it's so it's just so 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 important and I love them and I hope they never die <laughs> well I mean they're, they're they're going strong aren't they the moment to be fair um it's it's interesting actually because sometimes I, I wonder whether um you know because because soap opera is kind of are on every day and or on you know a few times a week uh you know is is there power to kind of impact society and, and make change in a way perhaps more powerful or or as powerful as high-end drama because you know you get used to someone being on your screen you know five times a week so if, if it's somebody that you wouldn't normally encounter from a different culture or with a different gender identity you know etc um you know but by, by by having them on your telly five nights a week are you almost getting to know them a bit more than you perhaps you would you know, in a, in a sort of regular series. I definitely think that that's true. I think you can take um, a lot longer with storylines and you, and you can, as you say, you can use characters that the audience know and love, take them into an issue-based story and really have the audience on their side from the off. But also, I think that the, the audience that tunes into soaps is possibly a, maybe a broader section or a different section of the population than people who tune into high-end drama. And also high-end drama will tend to have a specific slant or a specific genre, so not everyone's going to watch it. Whereas with soaps, a lot of people, it's habitual. They sit down and they have they, their tea and they, they watch a soap. And I think that, that that's a, you, you know, there's an opportunity to really communicate some, some interesting stories and interesting issues. And I think Hollyoaks especially always try to be quite groundbreaking and, and explore quite taboo social storylines um and hopefully yeah you're you're teaching the audience something while they're enjoying enjoying the show as well yeah it's always nice if you can if you can learn something along the way isn't it i, I think that there's a kind of perhaps assumption you know generally in the industry that high end is you know i suppose deals with these sort of issues more and that soaps are just entertainment but i would argue the opposite because you know, growing up and watching Hollyoaks and seeing like LGBTQ plus characters, that was the first time I encountered that as a young LGBT person, you know, was was sort of seeing seeing those characters on on, on, on that soap and Hollyoaks was always ahead of its time in that regard and in so many other regards as well. Um I think, you know, I think it I think it does a really good job. Definitely. And I just thinking about various storylines that I worked on, you know, I know we did a um Hollyoaks was the first first soap to do a male rape storyline um, back in the 90s. But we also did another one um, not so long ago. And, you know, the police were using, um, it got brought up in Parliament and the police were using some of the episodes um, to sort of educate and talk about victim impact. And there've been quite a few different storylines that we've done where the reach has gone beyond the show. And just, I remember also I worked um, on a storyline about teen self-harm and I wrote an episode that was quite controversial and got 99 Ofcom complaints, none of which were upheld. But people were very confronted, the sort of social media reaction, and it seemed to be coming a lot from audience members who were parent age. They they really felt strongly that the, the 
storyline shouldn't be on the television and that it, it might be in some way teaching or encouraging self-harm but actually we work very carefully with charities and and people there's a department called compliance department who make sure that everything's safe to air and that you're not doing imitative behavior on screen but um i think they just found it found it confronting because it isn't something that they wanted to think about but the truth is it's already you know your child is likely already knows about it and it is happening around them at school and what i noticed was i also wrote the climax of that story about a year later and we weren't getting complaints and we weren't getting the same reaction on social media and i think it's because they they followed that storyline and by the end they kind of understood it more and felt that it it was important to talk about and i think you could even just see across that storyline that the change in the audience's response that's really amazing though isn't it to know that you've impacted people's lives in that way and that you've seen a change because you know at first people are a bit sh- shaken but then as they as they come to terms with it and, and get used to the character and, and follow the storyline through they maybe have a change of heart that's that's the wonderful thing to have to do isn't it definitely definitely and there's another example I can think of which um I remember I think it was on Newsnight they were doing a piece about domestic violence and there was a woman speaking on it and she was um sitting in shadow she was anonymous but she she said that the reason she had the courage to contact a charity and left her husband is because she saw on Hollyoaks the storyline that we were doing at the time um, about domestic violence. And, I, and it's, wow. you know, it's not just Hollyoaks, it's, it, all of the soaps tackle social issues in that way. And they, they definitely, definitely, I think, have an impact and a reach that, that possibly high-end drama doesn't have. Um, although I think it can be really impactful as well. Yes, and speaking of high-end drama, uh, let's chat about Screw. So I loved Screw. I actually finished finished watching it last night. I would I would um, argue that perhaps it is a kind of social issue drama because each episode deals with, you know, a, a certain issue, whether it's, you know, um, extremism or transgender prisoners. You know, there's a multitude of different, of different themes that are explored. No, you're absolutely right. There was um, yeah, dealing with trans issues. There was gang mm-hmm. um, crime. There was mental health. Yes. There was extremism. That absolutely was part of the ambition of the show and part of the DNA of the show that Rob Williams, the creator, um, came up with, which was tackling these these different social issues that affect both prisoners and prison officers. Um, and I think it's a really important special part of the show. And hopefully, you know, you're able to talk about those issues and explore those themes without it feeling like you're being preached at or like it's a lesson I think that's always the ambition is that you get a balance of entertainment and tackling a real issue yeah and I think Screw did, did that really well because there's certain moments there's just the odd few lines that really kind of stay with you a lot of the things that Lee says and and Rose says you know the commentary on the prison but you know so that really makes you learn but then at the same time you are being entertained as well so I think that striking that balance is is is, is really important and how did it how did the project come about then how did you first hear about it how did you become involved so Rob Williams the creator he um was a teacher in prisons in a previous life oh wow um and he also still to this day I think uh, volunteers in prisons um I think it had a really big impact on him and so I think he's been wanting to write about prison for a long time, from what I understand, but never quite had the right entry into it for that he couldn't, you know, to sell. And I think it was when he started working with Sarah Brown at STV. I think together they sort of thought, well, there's been a lot of prison dramas, but there's never really been a drama that focuses on the prison officers. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, they're frontline workers and we've got shows about doctors and 
ambulance and you know there's been shows about fire crews and um but there's never really been a show about prison officers so i think that was the way it was born um and then i came on board relatively late in the process actually because i think rob was originally going to write um five of the six episodes um but then schedules changed the pandemic happened various things um came about and they needed another episodic writer and um yeah they read my spec script and uh, we had an interview and a chat and and they offered me the job so when I came on board the sort of broad serial arcs were already in place I think Rob always knew what they were going to be the stories for Lee and Rose across the series and he also knew what themes he wanted for each episode for the sort of story of the week element to explore um, and then it was just about um, my episode episode five uh, was mental health and it was about finding the right story to um, explore those themes through. Mm. And and what what kind of research and sort of consulting goes into um, you know in the sort of real world making a series like this? A lot. There was a lot of research. Um, the team Safia Sage, who's the script editor, was amazing. She did a lot of research, but we also had um, a prison officer consultant, somebody who's a working prison officer, and various other people who work in the prison service in different roles. Um, spoke to us and then specifically for my episode which is obviously tackling with specific mental health issues we spoke to charities and I think psychologists um and yeah lots of different people were across the script to make sure that they felt authentic and real um true to life and then also just on my own side of things I was watching a lot of prison documentaries um reading a lot of books um you know uh non-fiction books from people who worked in prisons or been in prison um yeah so a lot a lot of research goes into it um it's always funny because there's always somebody on the internet going oh didn't you do your research that actually we did a lot of research and also prison officers read every single draft of the script obviously it's it's television it's entertainment not every single part of it is going to be completely accurate but yeah there's a, a lot of research happened yeah i mean that that's that's really great though isn't it when it makes things feel more authentic and you know, it's a more kind of honest representation of, of, of that world. And I mean, I didn't know anything about prison or, or what prison, you know, how prison officers works. Um, and do, do you think there's kind of um, stereotypes placed upon um, prisoners and on kind of, you know, the whole world of prison and prison officers that perhaps this series wanted to challenge? Definitely. And I think like you, I didn't really know much about prisons. And I think that if you're somebody who's, who's lucky enough to never have had anything to do with a prison or someone who's been in prison I think it's not really something that as a society we like to think about I think we'd all just rather believe that prisons are full of really bad people who deserve to be there and that they work and it's an effective way of punishing people for crimes but the reality is there's an entire cross-section of society in prison a really high proportion of prisoners have mental health problems and you know something that came up in the research that I didn't know mm-hmm. was that some severely mentally ill people are placed in prisons even if they're not if they haven't committed a crime because it's deemed to be the only safe place to put them um and what's you know really interesting is that prison officers do not have medical training they have some mental health awareness training but they're not doctors they're not psychologists but they are dealing day in day out with people with very acute mental health problems and in a lot of distress um and i think that's not something that i really understood or thought about um, and yeah, and I think that the, I also didn't realize, and that's a big part of the show, is that there are a lot of women who work in male prisons. 
um, you just sort of assume that it wouldn't happen or that you, they wouldn't want to or, or for whatever reason. But actually, I think it's about 50% of prison officers in male prisons are female. So that's another thing that I thought was really interesting. I, did, I had no idea that people were placed in prisons because of, you know, because of mental health, haven't, having not offended. That's, that's really, you would have think that they would be institutions. And uh, I mean, there's, there's some commentary, isn't there, in your episode about um the placement of prisoners and and about the mental health institutions and and uh, towards the end gary sort of gets really angry doesn't he about the fact that they just do not have the training to deal with this at all they don't have the training no and the only sort of tools in their arsenal is that in the episode there's these act files which are the bright orange files and that's really the only thing that the prison officers have and what those are are um kind of information for the prison officers and a log. So they'll be told, usually by a, a mental health nurse or a prison psychologist, about a certain prisoner, you know, ha- how many times you should check on them if they're worried, if they think that that person is vulnerable. And then the prison officers will go and they'll check in with that that prisoner and, and ask them how they're doing and they'll make a note of their mental state. But that's really all they've got. Um, and it's just, it's quite, it, it seems... yeah it doesn't seem like the right approach and I think that from what we understood when we were speaking to prison officers that they would a lot of them would like to have more training because the reality is they are dealing with with this is part of their job whether they want it to be or not so I think that they would like to have more training on how to deal with some quite extreme situations and they also the other interesting thing is which I'm not sure it features in the episode but they don't know what the diagnosis is of the prisoners in their care um, they just know if they're on medication or not, but they don't know. They're never told really? the confidentiality what the diagnosis oh is. So they're dealing with people who are severely mentally ill and they don't know in what way. See, that is just unbelievable. You would never think that... In the, I mean, it sounds very, you know, <clears throat> historical. It sounds almost like, you know, the kind of... I, I don't want to compare anything to sort of Bedlam, but, you know, just the, the lack of mental health training in in terms of I just would never have I would have assumed that all officers had to undergo mental health first aid and all the and and like you know be really comprehensively trained but that's really I mean it says a lot about how you know perhaps our government institutions see prisons and and what how they see criminals I think yeah I think so and also the other thing that the the prison system is dealing with is that there were cuts made to I think they got rid of 10,000 prison officers I'm not sure how many years ago but within the last 10 years and inevitably that did not end well so there's been a big recruitment drive to try and replace the prison officers that were lost but what you're doing then is you're replacing people who had lots of years of experience with people who were maybe working in the service industry four weeks prior and they're being paid very little money so the type of people that it's attracting very unlikely to be um you know have the experience or the skills certainly not straight away that the, that the prison officers that were lost had um, so I think that's another big thing that's having an impact. And that's part of the story in Screw is that Rose is one of these these new entrants who was probably working in Nando's three weeks prior. And, you know, Lee is very sceptical of her because of she's somebody who's been working as a prison officer for years. And she's seen lots of people come through the door who are only really doing it as a job. And, and you know, why not? They shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to have a, a kind of vocation or, or massive, you know, um, kind of hero complex to become a prison officer, of course not. But I think she's just used to used to those people coming and not being able to cope with the situation they find themselves in and quitting. So she's very 
sort of she doesn't believe that Rose is going to stick it out basically yeah I mean that's that's really eye-opening because if you compare that to um you know to 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 hospitals where there's no way that you could really work in a hospital without having a certain level of training perhaps a degree in nursing and those and I'm really surprised that like and that's what's really great is that you you very quickly learn in the series that Rose is not experienced in this world that she doesn't know much about it and that's really kind of eye-opening to 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 know that 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 that's it's madness that isn't it that's crazy yeah it's insane because yeah you don't have to have qualifications to be a prison officer and um so it's so it's it's on the same sort of level in terms of how to get the job as those um kind of entry-level jobs in society those really low paid jobs that you could just basically walk out of school into um and that and I think that's yeah that's just really interesting because as you say that nurses doctors go through years of training before before they become frontline workers and prison officers are absolutely frontline workers but they don't get the the training or or the pay really I mean not that not that any of our frontline workers get great pay to to work in mental health generally you'd have to have like loads of training and stuff like that you know to work with people who are suffering from mental health conditions and it's really strange to me that some prisoners are also suffering from these mental health conditions and might have not offended but are still in these places and yet the people that are working with them are you know like you say under train that's just really eye-opening I think the series does a really great job at you know sort of pulling back that curtain and giving us an insight into that world that as an audience like you say most of us have, have been lucky enough to not have anything to do with prison to know what really goes on um in there and I think especially in your episode it's the the officers I think especially um especially the way that Lee um is with that you know distressed distressed inmate the distressed prisoner is that she does kind of see them as human beings and seeing them as people and there's there's a line I think there's something along the lines of um she sort of said you know we've been imprisoning people to know uh, what works and you know how you can change why, why aren't we doing yeah, it kind absolutely. of thing you I know think that um yeah what the show really tries to do is is show the connection as well between the prison officers and the prisoners because they're with these people constantly day to day and of course there is a there is a separation between them in terms of who's got the power but actually you know and I think that's the other thing that the the series looks at is it's sort of the way the system, the prison system sort of relies on an unspoken agreement as well between the prison officers and the prisoners, because the prison officers are massively outnumbered. And really, all they've got is a uniform and a baton. And if the prisoners do decide that they don't want to, they don't want this to be the situation anymore, they can riot and they can, you know, they can sort of gain control. Um, And yeah, it's very vulnerable. And I think the prison the prison officers are relying on that connection that they have with the prisoners and hoping that the authority is just going to work. Um, and, and yeah, and I think Lee, in my episode especially, is, is you know, she, the whole series, she's been given this promotion and it's something that she's wanted for a while and she thought she was going to be able to make big changes and she hasn't been able to make big changes. She's starting to feel quite hopeless and like, actually, maybe there isn't, anything she can do to help these men so that when she gets into a a situation a hostage situation with a distressed mentally unwell prisoner 
she sort of freezes and doesn't know what to do because she herself is is at a crisis point in her life. And I think that that's something that's really important as well. And we also see Gary go through a difficult time mentally. I think that the reality is, I think mental illness in prison, prison officers is also disproportionately high because they are dealing with really stressful jobs um, and having to deal with people who are self-harming and possibly trying to take their own lives. It's very difficult and there's not a huge amount of provision for them either. Yeah, and it, and it you know, it does make... A lot of sense that, of course, people working in that environment, you know, and seeing those distressing things and, you know, dealing with the sort of people that might be struggling, you know, also that then would would, would struggle themselves. Again, not something that you ever sit and think about or ponder. And that's why TV's, you know, so powerful because you'd never you'd never sit and think about these things. Um, and then just sort of touching on kind of mental health. I know you mentioned earlier that there was some sort there was a you know a lot of research involved in terms of portraying it accurately. So so what kind of things um, did you speak to um, charities with you know specific disorder you know about specific disorders that were, that were present in the characters or how how did it the sort of research consulting work from that perspective. Yeah, so when I came up with the story, the episodic story to do with the um, inmate Lucas, and we decided that he would be somebody who was hearing voices, we did specific research into the kind of disorders that um, might cause somebody to hear voices. We spoke to a couple of different charities um, specifically, and I watched a few documentaries um, to try try and get the detail in that. And I think what was really interesting, what I didn't know, which also sort of became part of the story, is that um, you don't actually have to have a specific mental illness or diagnosis to be somebody who hears voices. There are people who, who just hear them um, and aren't, you know, say bipolar or schizophrenic. Um, and that there aren't or you know there are charities out there who wouldn't necessarily you know if you if the re- if the rest of your mental health is kind of in control hearing voices isn't something that some people necessarily advocate trying to get rid of or fix oh, right. um, because for some people it is a, it is a it's not a harmful experience it could become harmful and then of course it's a problem but um but yeah and there was a I can't remember the statistic but there was a statistic about the amount of people that have heard a voice at some point and for some people that's a religious thing but for other people's that that's just a point of crisis or at a point of particular emotional vulnerability and that then became part of of rose's story as well and sort of trying to access that in in her um which i thought was really really interesting and yeah there was a particular charity that that we spoke to that were like yeah you know we wouldn't you wouldn't say to somebody who's hearing voices that that that's bad or that it or that it's not real or that you need to stop that from happening if you are in an okay place with it then that that's fine and I think that's where we sort of started with Lucas was that previously his life had been okay and when he first started hearing the voice it wasn't necessarily having a negative impact on his life but he um you know did then spiral into a more serious mental health crisis which ultimately landed him in prison and I think that's another thing that people don't talk about is yes there are lots of prisoners with mental health problems but also there are people who mental health problem has put them in a situation where they're in prison whether or not that that is because they've you know been taking drugs or alcohol to try and self-treat a mental health problem that's then ended up turning into them committing a crime or you know they've they've not been functioning well and they've not paid their taxes or you know there's lots of different situations that somebody who is who's struggling could end up in committing a crime really and then and then they're in prison. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd never come across that information unless you're working on a show like this. So it must be a great experience for you as well as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favourite parts of of writing is when you start exploring a world that you don't know or a character you don't know very well. It comes from a different 
different experience and you, and you get to research and learn things that happened all the time on Hollyoaks um you know do a lot of issue storylines and you meet and learn some really fascinating people and yeah the same has happened with Screw and I just I really yeah I really love that I, lo- I love sort of getting really delving deep into the research yeah no I, I, lo- I love research and stuff as well I just find it so interesting I could spend all day just like reading stuff on the internet about you know a certain topic or theme um and what would you say are kind of the the key messages um from your episode that you'd sort of you know that you were looking for the audience to kind of take away um that's a good question i think that obviously that that prison officers are, are not necessarily equipped to deal to deal with um the severe mental mental health problems that they encounter that there needs to be reform um that a lot of a lot of prisoners are struggling but that also prison officers are are struggling as well um and yeah i just think that something something needs to change because it is um bizarre that these people are on the front line of dealing with people in severe mental health crisis and yet they don't have any any medical training or support really mm-hmm. we were you know rob was very keen to show although the show is focused on the prison officers obviously it's their pov wanted to show that there are all different types of people in prison, all different races, all different ages, you know, a large, huge portion of the prison population is, is old, um, which again, I don't feel like is something that you see very often in prison dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, and also, you know, it's a category C prison, so it's not dealing with people who've committed what we would deem to be the worst crimes in society. But, you know, a lot of people are just, just normal people who've made a mistake. And I think there's that line um, that Rob wrote about, you know, prisons aren't full of bad people, they're full of people who've done bad things. And I think that that is definitely something that I hope comes across in all of the all of the episodes. And, and it's raising the question about whether or not prison is the right, as it stands currently, is the right way to deal with all of the people that, that do end up there. It's interesting you should say that point about kind of older prisoners and I can't think of the character's name but the older guy that says basically about mental health and that you know it's just implies it's a snowflake generation and that people are self-diagnosing and I thought that was an interesting kind of um way of expressing how perhaps the older generation might view mental health was that something that you kind of intended with it with that character yeah I think that there's definitely a generational divide and possibly you know it go, also might go into gender and and background and whether or not you're from the north <laughs> but um yeah I think there's a generational divide in in our attitude towards mental health which I think is starting to change um, and I think it's becoming more and more acceptable certainly men but there is definitely a culture of um not talking about feelings and believing that you know it makes you weak or or whatever if you if you're struggling and the reality is that it you know it doesn't mental illness doesn't pick people based on their demographic and I think that it is important to look at but also just you know as much as the prison officers aren't educated possibly enough on mental health conditions the prisoners aren't going to have any education on that either and I think that's um even if they might be suffering with themselves and that's an interesting thing to explore yeah absolutely and what do you think uh thinking of sort of about like you know the the wider industry and what what do you think the industry might need to do to ensure we have you know better representations of mental health on screen and you know perhaps also maybe even off screen as well just in general what do you kind of think the industry would need to do to tackle that sort of on screen and off screen 
You know, I think it is happening um, and people are being better with it, but it's always really important if you're featuring a mental health storyline, I think, to work with charities um, to work with um, people who know what they're talking about to make sure not only that you're doing an accurate portrayal, but also a safe portrayal of something on screen. I think certainly when you're talking about suicide, you know, we work with the Samaritans um, and I did that at Hollyoaks as well because there's you know a real danger that when you're portraying self-harm and suicide on screen that the people might imitate it or um, there's a very scary term called suicide contagion and there's been all studies done about when there's been unsafe portrayals of suicide on screen in the past and it has led to real life um, tragic incidents so I think that it's really important to work with charities and to not use mental health gratuitously um, and if you're going to do it commit to it and do it properly don't don't just use it as a as a twist in a story. And I think just the, generally the portrayal as well of the types of people that have mental illness. You know, I think that the psychological thriller as a genre is sort of inherently a little bit problematic because it's usually a woman who's who's going mad seemingly, and and you know, is she you know sort of Doctor Foster's, which I loved, but it's it, it's a careful line to tread, I think. And I think hopefully now we're all being a bit more diligent in making sure that that we're doing if it is a mental illness that we're doing that story justice and that we're not just using it for entertainment um and then off screen you know it's a big question i think there's been a lot of um talk about it in the last year or so since since the pandemic about mental health off screen because there is a real problem i think in the television industry um people work very long hours there's a lot of stress just being a freelancer in itself is difficult um and there's also been a lot of people coming forward talking about hostile environments that they're working in so you know I, I think that it's about companies taking responsibility and putting provisions in place for their their employees and I have to say that um, there's a show I'm currently working on um, that and the, that has men, a mental health problem at the heart of it and the production company have offered us access to counsellors if we want to talk through anything at any point which I think is brilliant um, and it just shows I think hopefully that there is a, a change happening I, I i hope there is and i think that there has been a shift in the last you know especially over the pandemic you know things like the tv mindset and um you know channels committing to you know freelance charters and, and all those kinds of things what 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 do you think would be from you know all your research and everything that you've done you know for screw what kind of reforms do you think that would be potentially helpful for um you know prisons from from what you've learned i mean i'm no <laughs> prison reform strategist but um definitely i mean i think there is a you know a money a, a financing problem i think there should be more um, medical professionals present in prisons and the access to that should be improved i think that prison officers should be given the opportunity to do mental proper mental health first aid training and and i think that there needs to be questions raised about whether or not, um, you know, and this, I should, I should probably say that this is certainly my view and probably, uh, I can't like actually <laughs> yeah. be taken as yeah, no radical v views are my own. as but, they say. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. View, hashtag views are my own, but that whether or not, you know, that the people that everyone who is in prison sh should be in prison, if that's the best way to deal with people who have ended up there as a result of struggling not just from mental health but you know we know that poverty is a massive reason why a lot of people end up in prison um and and lots of other things you know largely most of the most of the people in prison are, are there because of societal 
societal problems I think that exist before you even get to the prison system so it we have to start again basically <laughs> yeah start from scratch build a whole new society you know I think that I think there's you know some really valid points there that it is perhaps the structural inequalities that um you know makes you know either people turn to crime because they think it's you know, a better life or you know there's all sorts of factors that results in somebody ending up in the prison system definitely definitely because I think that a lot of our sort of emergency services um have now become they kind of mop up the problem after the fact that you know that all of the funding cuts and the recession um has led to you know police are now functioning as sort of crisis workers a lot of the time there you know I think the responder on um BBC has shown that a lot of time the uniform officers there dealing with people who are in crisis, whether that's mental health or or poverty or um, and then and then that feeds all the way through to the to the prison system as well. And you know if we made changes earlier on, then it hopefully it wouldn't get to that point. Mm, definitely. And for those um, listeners that are you know kind of uh, looking to get into the industry, perhaps looking to get into drama or writing or or, or just TV in general, really. Um, what kind of advice would you give for somebody, you know, looking to get their foot in the door? What do you think is some good ways? I feel like we've gone from fixing society to how do you get into TV? But, you know, maybe TV can, you know, play a role in fixing society. So, yeah, uh, yeah. how would you, uh, what advice would you give? Hopefully, I hope so. There was nothing more humbling, I think, than the the first part of the pandemic when we all went, oh, you know, all of the, you know, really important people in society are the essential workers. Meanwhile, we're just sitting right in telly but hopefully as you say <laughs> that there's um changes to be made i think that um i would say certainly if you're looking to get into drama that as we've talked about soaps targeting soaps and entry-level jobs and soaps is a really great shout and i would my advice would be go for any job any entry-level job at the start that's what i did just because once you're in then you can start thinking about moving sideways or moving up but especially something like a soap any entry-level job that gets you in the building and working with people means that you're in front of them. You can show them that you're hardworking and that you're skilled and that you're you're ambitious. And hopefully, then they'll they'll help you find the right path to where you want to be. Um, I think that perseverance is key. It is really really difficult to break into the industry. It really is. Um, but you have to keep going and get used to the rejections. And I think once you do get that first entry-level job it's really important to be the best you can at that job. I think I would always say, make it known at the start what your ultimate ambition is or what your next step, what you want your next step to be, but then shut up about it and be brilliant because if you're indispensable in that role, people will help you get to the next stage. Absolutely, yeah. I think it can be, um, you know, can be. I, I was always very mindful of not because I think it can be quite common, perhaps, when somebody like, you know, is on the first day of the runner job, it's like, <laughs> I want to be a director to everyone, and it's like, no, <laughs> like, might not be the best approach. Like, just do yeah. your job really well, and if there's an opportunity, and somebody asks you, then maybe. Yeah, you but don't. You don't need I think to yeah, shout I think being round. clear about being ambitious is fine. Yeah. But yeah, don't start start pestering until you've earned yeah. your stripes. And I, it was a really funny one once as um, interviewing people for a story job at Hollyoaks, and we held a um, a sort of mock story day where people came in and did a workshop. And afterwards, um, one of them came up to me and said, oh, "I don't really think this is for me, but could you give me a script?" <laughs> 
Like, probably Ooh, why would i give nice. you a script if it's not me? <laughs> absolutely absolutely not the way it yeah. works no. <laughs> so is um is, is a storyliner is that like an entry-level job or is there one before it uh, it was a bit it would never happen now i don't think that you just step into storylining it was a bit of a, a fluke that it happened to me but you could the sort of entry-level positions um in yeah. an editorial department of a soap would be there'd be a story assistant or um junior storyliner and then on the script side it would be assistant script editor or script assistant. Anything with assistant in it basically is 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 a good one to go for. And also researcher in some, not on things like casualty, I wouldn't imagine because it's so research led, but certainly researcher is an entry level job in, in some soaps. Um, and that's always a good one to go for if you want to get into editorial. Yeah, so I hope everyone's listening up if they're interested in, in getting into drama. There's some brilliant ways that you can, uh, yeah, get a foot in the door. Um, and I sort of, I like to end by sort of asking people, um, why do you think storytelling and television is is so powerful and, and it can make change? What is it about it, do you think? I think, for me, it's when you get pulled into a story and a character that you really believe in and care about, then whatever they go through, you go through. And I think you it can really be affecting and change your mind because you're empathizing with that character um so so you sort of trust in in either what they're telling you or, or what they're going through and i think that we all live quite limited lives with limited experiences and we tend to bother about with the same people who have the same views as us it's a bit of an echo chamber and i think that when you turn on the telly and you're looking to escape into a different world that's when you might hear a viewpoint or think about something completely different um, to what you would encounter in your day-to-day life. And I think that it's like, um, I think that's what makes it really powerful. And hopefully as well, I think that the best, the best versions of that are when you don't know you're being taught something because you're just watching a really entertaining story with great characters. Um, And then you come away and you realize you've changed your mind about something, or maybe you're interested in looking into something that you don't feel like you're being preached at. I think that's really important. Um, I think people don't like being told what to think or, or you know, as we've certainly learned over the pandemic, what to do. But I think that if you're just really emotionally connected to a story, it happens sort of like a Trojan horse. I'd agree, yeah. I think there's something in kind of empathising with characters and because it's almost like I think that, you know, if you don't know somebody who belongs to a particular you know community or culture um then you might have an opinion about that culture or or issue or whatever but if you know someone then you might you know your heart might change you might change your mind about what you think and so that's i think a really great where tv comes in is you can it's like you know them without knowing them kind of thing yeah, isn't it's it a window into another world but through the eyes of somebody that you've you've sort of learned to care about and and you see all sorts of things that you would never normally do in your in your experience um because yeah we just all live in these bubbles of people like like that are the same as us that same as us and i think that, and worlds as well you know like we're talking about we don't really know what goes on in a prison until you watch a prison drama maybe um so i think it's really yeah it's 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 what i love most about tv amazing well that seems like a perfect point to end on um been really great to chat to you all about screw especially if i've just freshly watched it um and all about yeah like the the, you know the social issues and great to get your thoughts on um television's role in society and and also you know hope people can take away some insights of 
working in drama, what it's like to and, and how to get in as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you so much. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. There'll be more episodes coming soon. Please share with anyone that you think might be interested. Now, roll credits. You've been listening to Get With The Programme, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Michael Sheridan, alongside the Edinburgh TV Festival and the TV Foundation's talent schemes. If you'd like to work in TV but don't know where to start, why not check out the Network Talent Scheme? It's helped thousands of people launch a media career, including me. Or, if you're already working in the industry, the Ones to Watch scheme can help you take the next big steps in your career. Head to thetvfestival.com to find out more, or check us out on Instagram and Twitter. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. TV and at Ones to Watch underscore TV. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>